It's Wednesday, December 7th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio today from Supernova and Rule Breakers, David Kretzman. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. We've got we've got some news, which is always good because this is a business news podcast. The news fairy is very kind to us. This the week. news fairy has been on a roll lately. <laughs> so so shout out to the news fairy. Uh, but let's start with some earnings from Dave and Buster's third quarter profits were not just higher than expected. They were seventy nine percent higher than expected. They also raised guidance for the full fiscal year. I mean, this company is just crushing it right now. And it's all the more impressive when you consider restaurants as a whole are having a very difficult time. You just have a handful of restaurants, and Dave and Buster's is one of them that is still managing to attract people to the restaurants. Uh, you know, people are, are still paying a good amount when they do visit uh, the restaurants. But we've seen a, a lot of uh, restaurants that have had a good run over the past few years suddenly see a decline in traffic. They're lowering guidance, but. Man, when so when David Buster's puts up results like this and raises guidance, it's understandable to see the stock pop 15% or so today. Yeah, the stock is hitting an all-time high today, and we'll get to the valuation in a minute. But but let's go back to the point that you hit on, which is, I mean, this really is. Look, it's December. It is it is the time for anyone who does anything related to business news to start to think about. What is the year-end story going to be? What are the the big stories of the year? And certainly, when you look at industries as individual groups, that has been the story in 2016 for restaurants. That there really has been a slowdown, particularly in the uh, well, I guess sort of the traditional restaurant space and also the fast casual space as well. This real, I mean, as you said, this makes Dave and Buster's latest quarter not just all the more impressive, all the more surprising, because this is one of the most discretionary income-focused stocks I can think of. And when the economy is going well, then it's fair to expect a Dave and Buster's to do well. Obviously, they have to pull it off on the operational level, but they're doing that. Yeah, they're doing really well, and it really is the the amusements or the arcade and games, uh, which now makes up over half of their sales, but that's what drove um, the same-store sales increase of 5.9% for the quarter. Uh, so, you had um, the arcade and games and amusements, the sales there were up about 10%. Food and beverage sales were up less than 1%. So, those games are what are bringing people into the stores, and that's where people are spending a lot of their money when they do visit a Dave & Buster's. That's a little surprising to me. Not that the games is higher and more consequential than the food and beverage, but I would assume, and I would be wrong, clearly, but I would assume that they would go hand-in-hand. That if you're spending more time at a Dave and Buster's, playing more games, then at some point you're going to say, "Well, let's order another round of drinks, or let's order a little more food." Yeah, you would think so. Something that the company is focusing on more is uh, exclusive games. So this summer they launched an exclusive Star Trek game. Uh, they had a couple others that came out within the past few months. So those games seem to be a big draw for people. Or maybe once people are in the stores, they see some games, they they check it out. And there's almost like a loyalty rewards factor into that. Like You just get hooked on the games, and I'll keep you coming back to the stores. That's something that pretty much every other restaurant doesn't have. So, that is a big differentiator for Dave & Buster's. And I think the question is, how does this company perform when the economic situation maybe takes a, a turn for the worse? But on that note, Restaurants, I don't think, have a whole lot of excuses <laughs> anymore because now the, the election is over. And 
for a while, people have been giving macro uncertainty as one of the, probably one of the main reasons that people were um, pinching pennies a little bit more, not going out, not spending money, uh, eating out. But now that you have uh, the election over with, unemployment just hit what a nine-year low at four point six percent. Right, people should be eating out, so, and, and restaurants need to do a better job of attracting people to those stores. And the restaurants that prove their ability to do it, whether it's Texas Roadhouse, Dave & Buster's, Starbucks, those are the ones that will continue to be rewarded by Wall Street and the stock market as as they should be. Yeah, and I'm I'm not saying, gosh, go out and, and pick up a few shares of Dave & Buster's because the stock's at an all-time high, but I think this is one of those times, and we've seen this with retail recently, too. This is one of those times where, if you're an investor and you're looking at the restaurant space or you're looking at the retail space, you can sort of take a step back and look over the last, say, six months or so, and say, well, who has been performing? Because you're right, there there are no excuses. And we, we, I think we talked about this on an episode of Motley Fool Money recently with with retailers, where where you can say, no, 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 it's not that consumers aren't spending; they're spending. They just might not be spending it at your shop, but they are spending, and we're seeing it with restaurants too. Absolutely. And to Dave and Buster's credit, on the conference call, they did credit good weather to to part of their success. A lot of times, companies will blame bad weather when their results uh, aren't up to par. But it's nice to see see the flip side when uh, restaurants will give <laughs> you know the weather a little bit of credit where it's due. What do you think of the valuation of this stock? Do you do you look at the all time high that it's hitting today and say, "Ooh, boy, I, you know they're they're doing well on the operational level." But this is a pricey stock. Well, when you look at the valuation on a price to earnings basis or PE ratio basis, uh, the PE is now at about 27, which isn't unreasonable. It's not the highest that that valuation has been for the company over the past year, really, since it went public. Management gave some very preliminary guidance for the next fiscal year. So, next year, they're expecting sales and earnings to grow in the low double digits. I think the question is how how sustainable is that growth? But right now they have 88 stores opened. Management sees a long term opportunity of 200 plus stores in North America. If they can continue to open those stores and put up results like this and find ways to keep customers coming back for the food and beverage and the games as well, I think there's still a long term opportunity here. My main concern with Dave and Buster's is that they do have a fairly substantial debt load, and their free cash flow production isn't. Very robust right now because they are spending a lot of money opening these new stores, which does make sense given these results. But if a recession comes or or some hard times come and the company isn't able to produce that cash and you have a lot of debt on the balance sheet, that could put the company in a tough situation. So that's longer term the main thing I'm worried about. But I think if you're interested in Dave and Buster's, maybe start with a small position and just you know follow this story and add as opportunities arise. Earlier this week, IDC, which is the global research firm, put out a report on the smartwatch industry. And I'm quoting from the report here smartwatches will continue to struggle in the near term. And yet, that did not prevent Fitbit from buying Pebble for less than $40 million. Pebble is a smartwatch startup. This appears to be a move to essentially buy. Pebble's platform, buy their software, buy some of their talent, some of their engineering talent. I'm I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad purchase. And shares of Fitbit up one two percent today. So it's the company, the the stock is not being punished as a result of that. But Fitbit 
is in the industry that is struggling. Fitbit previously came out and, and lowered guidance heading into the holidays, which sent the stock down. Just as we look at a company spending money on a stock buyback, and it's always fair to ask the question, is that the best use of your money? I look at this and go, really? You're going to spend, and we don't know the exact amount, but it's less than four. Let's say, let's cut it in half. Let's say it's $20 million. You don't have a better use for $20 million? And maybe they don't. It's a big question right now. Obviously, Fitbit is practicing what they hope will be buy low, sell high in this case. Uh, but I mean, Fitbit is having you know, a hard time. They're they're guiding for holiday sales to really only grow five percent or so, which is quite a steep deceleration of growth from what we've seen with the company since it went public last year. They do have a lot of cash to play with. They have six hundred seventy million dollars in cash, no debt. So they're not struggling uh, on the balance sheet right now, but they're also not producing free cash flow consistently. So we do want to keep a close eye. You know, if you're an investor, you want to keep a close eye on what is management strategy to get out of this funk. Because if you're largely a hardware consumer electronics hardware company, as we've seen with GoPro, that it's very hard to sustain success when your revenue is largely tied to releasing new products. Earlier this year, Fitbit uh, released. Uh, the the Blaze, which is their first uh, smartwatch, uh, and and it did pretty well. It makes up a, a good chunk of sales, but you know as we're seeing with management's guidance for the fourth quarter, you, you need to keep coming out with new hits, and that's a, a very tough thing to do, especially when you're competing against the Apple Watch Series Two, which seems to be getting good reviews and is a big step up from the first iteration of the Apple Watch. So I don't know, uh, and, and Pebble itself has had. A good amount of success on Kickstarter. That's really where the company raised the majority of its money over the past few years. Pebble was essentially the first smartwatch in 2012, but Pebble laid off 25% of its staff earlier this year, and it's not really clear what Fitbit gains from this acquisition. Maybe some help on the software side, which is where management seems to be focusing more. But I don't know. I I don't think this alone this this alone certainly isn't going to turn Fitbit around. There's a TechCrunch report that uh, the that sources the the price tag of this acquisition between 34 and 40 million dollars, saying that this essentially covers Pebble's debts. So, if nothing else, it appears that Fitbit didn't overpay for Pebble, and so mm-hmm. maybe that maybe that's why we're seeing the stock bump up a little bit as well. But this appears to be uh, an industry that. Is ripe for more consolidation. Fitbit has a great brand. I think the the devices are, are pretty well regarded, but it really is a tough space. And when you look at globally sales slowing down, which was a big part of that IDC report, and and even Apple, you know, saying that year over year sales were declining for Apple. Um, they're still selling them, but they're declining. So it's it's definitely a soft market right now. Definitely, and I, I think Apple is still certainly the top dog in this space. Even with you know, the industry as a whole facing some declines any given quarter, Apple still has over fifty percent of the smartwatch market, which is pretty impressive. Since you know they came out with their first smartwatch, what I guess it was last year with the Apple Watch. I I worry that Fitbit and and some of these other competitors are. Are kind of in a similar position to Palm and BlackBerry before the iPhone came out, where you you have a known consumer brand, uh, you know, decent financials or even strong financials by by some measures. But man, competing against Apple is is a tough thing to do, and there aren't many survivors <laughs> uh, who, who have uh, you know stood the test of time competing against Apple. So I just 
I, I wonder what gives Fitbit that sustainable advantage. They're trying to do more working with the software and capturing that that data. You know, people, uh, you know, tracking their their exercise, their fitness, their steps, heartbeats, all that stuff. Maybe they can package that somehow and offer more of a subscription service or focus more on that software side. But I mean, the company really is is pivoting all of a sudden to focus more on that on on the software. And as an investor, similar to GoPro, which has tried to do the same thing, and now GoPro's you know essentially shutting down their their media component. It, it, it it's it's a tough tough thing uh, for for these companies to do. And I, I don't know, it leave, leaves a lot more questions uh, to be answered for Fitbit. Someone's having a good week, and that's Pandora. Shares up twenty percent in the past week, and I'm trying to figure out exactly. What is going on here? Because this started late last week when Pandora said that they were open to talks with SiriusXM. Let me repeat that. This is not SiriusXM saying we're interested in Pandora. This is Pandora saying we're open to talks with SiriusXM. Um, you know, is that first of all? Does that make sense? Because when I looked at that, Pandora being acquired by someone, I can see someone, some entity, with deep pockets looking at Pandora and saying, "There's value there, and we want it." SiriusXM is kind of in the same business. I, I'm not sure what SiriusXM would gain from buying Pandora, and I don't know what role Oppenheimer has in all of this. But they put out a note the other day saying, "Not only do we see this." Making sense. We see this making sense in the range of eighteen to twenty-one dollars a share. Pandora is now in around thirteen and a half, and that's with the twenty percent increase. So I just thought, wait a minute, this this seems like a high price right now. You're saying it should go from thirteen to twenty? I don't know. I'm I'm basically I'm confused. Yeah, <laughs> I'm no, very I, very confused. I'm confused here as well. I I think it. Was was this summer? I think SiriusXM might have approached the the board of directors at Pandora, making an offer. I think for three and a half billion dollars or something to buy Pandora, and now Pandora over the past week has essentially said, "Hey, we're we're open to that, but we're also approaching other suitors as well." But yeah, I, I'm not sure if Pandora is what SiriusXM needs, and I, I don't know if Pandora can be very picky. I think at this point, if you have an offer from SiriusXM for three and a half billion dollars, you take it. If you're a Pandora, because this is a company that's lost 270 million dollars over the past year, really struggling competing against Apple Music, Google, and YouTube Music, Spotify, Amazon. Like you're you're competing against some very big players here, and Pandora is still very dependent on advertising to generate the bulk of its revenue. Whereas you see Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon really shifting to approach where it's a subscription business. So you pay seven to ten dollars a month, and you can essentially listen to anything you want to. It's not uh, you know some algorithm deciding what what you can or can't listen to, and that just seems like a much more attractive model for uh, consumers. And Pandora is tr- again trying to pivot more toward that, but the company's still very tied to advertising. So I I don't know. Pandora's in a tough situation. The company's certainly not making money right now. So if you have an offer from SiriusXM, I don't know if it necessarily makes sense for Sirius, but it certainly seems to be an attractive offer for Pandora. So I mentioned this to Bill Barker the other day, and I said, "What what does SiriusXM see in Pandora?" And he very quickly said, "Well, they they probably see themselves. <laughs> if you think back to when Sirius was a standalone satellite radio and XM was a standalone standalone." 
uh, satellite radio company. They were both sort of 1990s versions of Pandora. It's like, oh yeah, we've got all this music, and we're losing money hand over fist. So, I don't know. It, it, it'll be interesting to see if if they if they actually do get together. I can't imagine there would be any sort of regulatory issues here. I don't think so. Sirius is really tied up with satellite radio, Pandora's online streaming. So. Sirius has tried to do a little bit more with having its own mobile app and stuff and getting more into that streaming space, but certainly the company is still very tied to satellite radio. But uh, I, I think the, the problem with uh, Pandora is when you're competing against Apple, Google, Amazon, those companies' music services are part of a larger ecosystem. Uh, but Pandora, yeah, how, how exactly do you differentiate yourself in that space? I, I think that could be another space where if you don't, if you're not part of that larger ecosystem, you're going to see some cons- consolidation. Like I think maybe a merger with Spotify might make more sense because it's just harder to make a different product from uh, other other companies that are offering the same music that you are. Maybe your algorithm is a little different uh, if people are listening, or maybe you maybe we move into exclusive music for some of these providers. But Pandora's in a Tough situation right now. Part of what had me thinking about regulatory approval is while you and I are in the studio right now, uh, across the Potomac River, executives from AT and T and and Time Warner are meeting with the nice people on Capitol Hill to talk about their proposed <laughs> merger and and their fervent hope that uh, it gets it gets approval. So well, much bigger much bigger merger, many more dollars and consumers involved there. So we'll see if that one actually uh, happens. That's where the regula- regulators are focused. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you're a regulator, you're like, what is? How much money is involved in the Pandora? Se-? Yeah, that's fine. Here's the rubber stamp. We'll just stamp that. That's good. Um, uh, wrapping up with music, as you know, as longtime listeners know, we uh, producer Dan Boyd and I like to take time in December to. Uh, expose our listeners to holiday music beyond what they get on the radio because it's just the same 50 songs over and over and so uh, as we will be doing all month uh, we're going to wrap up today with um, Washington DC's own Chuck Brown Thanks for being here, man. Thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about in The Motley Fool, may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.
talking about. 